The Wings Over New Zealand show is brought to you in association with the Wings Over New Zealand Aviation Forum, New Zealand's number one aviation discussion forum online. There you'll find discussion on all aspects of New Zealand aviation, from history to current affairs and thousands of photos covering the Royal New Zealand Air Force, airlines, general aviation, warbird restorations, air show news, sport aviation, home building, gliding, aviation media and much, much more. You'll be in good company with other aviation enthusiasts, including pilots, engineers, warbird owners and restorers, historians and authors, modelers, aviation photographers and many others. Sign up to the Wings Over New Zealand community now. It's free and easy. Just Google Wings Over New Zealand and you'll find the forum. Hi everybody, Andrew Gormley, CEO of Classic Flyers here. If you're interested in classic aviation and you want to get up close and personal to old aircraft and see some of New Zealand's aviation history, come across the Classic Flyers, Jean Batten Drive, Mount Monganui, right on the edge of the airport. You can go for flights in old aeroplanes like Boeing Stearmans and Harvards. There's lots to see. Kids parties happening here all the time. We have functions and function rooms, business meetings, and a great cafe with excellent coffee. If you'd like to be involved with Classic Flyers, we also have the volunteer groups who do all things from helping out with function work or just on the main hangar floor with visitors and guests or birthday parties, right through to engineers who get involved in restoring some of our wonderful old aircraft assets. It's a great place and it's in a good location. Come and have a visit. Check out the website on www.classicflyersnz.com Extended Hi, this is Peter Johnson from Aerospace Radio Station Extended and we bring you some of Europe's best guests He's, he's been something of, of an unsung hero of the American space program outside those who are, have made it their business to become aficionados of it news some people will call you mad some people will call you heroes uh, uh and everyone else is probably somewhere in that spectrum it's uh it's an amazing project to to pull together from literally from scratch and views you've got to pick yourself up dust yourself off and learn from that experience and that's not an easy thing to do peter learning from your own failure so why not give us a listen if you want to hear about warbirds aviation and the aerospace industry Come over and give us a visit. Aviation-extended.co.uk And remember, there's no E at the beginning of extended. Extended. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show. I'm your host, Dave Homewood. Recently, I visited David Barnston who flew an array of fighters, from the Hurricane, to the Thunderbolt, to the Spitfire, and here in New Zealand, the Mustang. We sat down and had a chat about his aviation career. To start um, for the recording, can I get your full name? David Julian Barnston. Okay, and your uh, your rank that you got to? In the RAF, it was uh, flying officer, but that was that was immediately after the war. Okay. I, uh, I stayed in for about a year before I was demobilised. Right. And, uh, uh, and then I joined the Territorial Air Force. 
here when I migrated to New Zealand. Oh, here, okay. In '48. Right. Did you fly Mustangs then? Yes. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. I was, I was a flight commander on the on the one TAF at Auckland. Yeah. 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 Oh, brilliant. And I think because I was in flying practice when uh, National Airways. Uh, wanted pilots. This was really the second sort of group. Yep. The first group were presumably in about 46 yep. when they formed. And uh, this was probably the second bunch. And I think because I was in flying practice, I got in. And, uh, right. right. So I had 20 years flying, with, 27 years with them. And, uh, okay. Okay. Brilliant. Uh, just back to the questions, uh, what was your service number, or both one, of them? <laughs> um, well, of course, I had two. Yeah. One three double nine four double three was when I went in as an oak. You know what an oak is? As I do, <laughs> yeah. I was an oak myself. <laughs> <laughs> and two oh double two six one when I was commissioned mm -hmm. okay. at the end of the war. It was, it was just a commission just before the end. And so, but you commissioned straight from warrant officer. You didn't become pilot officer. You went to flying officer. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so I joined it um, when I got in the territorial in New Zealand. I um, I joined as a flying officer, and then uh, later became a flight lieutenant. Right. Okay. Yep. And did you have a New Zealand number as well? Yes, two o double two six one. Oh, that's that one. Okay, yep, yep. There's <laughs> some things you never remember. <laughs> you yeah, never forget. True. Never forget. Yep. Um, and what was your place of birth and date of date of birth? I was born in London, March nineteen twenty four. Right. Okay. Wow. So, so you're just in time. <laughs> <laughs> There's not many of you World War II guys left. I've been, <laughs> for the last sort of 15 years, I've been tracking guys down and yeah. I've done lots and lots and lots of interviews. But yeah, there's, it's good to meet you because there's, you guys are few and far between now. So, um, what's your earliest memory of aviation? Um, the earliest one would be um, probably when. Uh, I was probably about eight or ten, and uh, on summer holidays on the east coast, and there were presumably ex World War One pilots um, have a sort of semi flying circus, yeah. but did trips for ten shillings or something. And my mother uh, took my brother and I up, and looking back, I think it was probably in a five oh four or something like that. Because my brother and I, I think, were in one cockpit together. Wow. And, uh, and my mother was claustrophobic, I thought. She would, looking back, she was pretty brave. But, of course, it wasn't closed in, or she wouldn't have done it. Yeah. But um, that, or I went to a, I suppose you'd call it a prep school um, in Hendon, and it was right next to, it was very, very close to Hendon Aerodrome. Our sports field was very close. And I used to see them, the Bristol Bulldogs and things like that, rehearsing 
for the hand and nail display, which was the equivalent of Farnborough. Uh, yeah. Uh, wow, that would be something. Yes. Yeah. That would have been in the um, early 1930s. Right. Of course, that's where Barlow lost his legs. Oh, true, yeah. Yeah. I met Barlow when I got back um, in, back to England um, from out east. It would have been in 1946. Um, and I was posted to a, a station in south, it would have been in North, North Wales, a place called Tranbedder. The CEO there was Joe Pegg, who'd been a Battle of Britain pilot, mm -hmm. a successful one, and a very fine person. And uh, one day there he said, we're going to go to 12 group, we'll take a an aircraft, we had a, a, a Harvard, and we were, this unit in Wales, this was after the war, yeah. um, was basically an army cooperation unit and it, it teamed up with a, an army unit and uh, we would do mock strafing attacks and we had an aircraft with a drogue. Mm -hmm. and, one poor week have to tow the drogue, but uh, and they were fired it. But uh, getting back to Joe Pegg, um, he said we're going to go to Twelve Group, which was uh, our headquarters, and uh, I think he'd been on the squadron with Barda, right. and uh, we had a game of darts with Barda. <laughs> I didn't find him; wasn't. It was memorable because, only because I met him. But, yeah. Joe Pegg only lasted about two years after the war and got killed in a meteor. Oh, gosh. It was, it was a shame. I think he had 12 kills. And, uh, gosh. And uh, he was a delightful person. I, I, I haven't had many CEOs, but. He was so far ahead of any of them. He, uh, his name was Peg, and uh, on his aircraft, instead of having beautiful women, or <laughs> he had a clothes peg. <laughs> when he got married, he had two clothes pegs, and one who was at Lambella, his wife produced a child, so there was a little clothes peg alongside. <laughs> I don't know whether he, well, he didn't have all the crosses and things on his aircraft. I mean, it was peacetime, I don't think they did it. Right, right. But uh, out there we had, had Spitfires, and that was the first time I flew Spitfires. Okay. Which were a delight. And, uh, okay. Uh, I, well, I so, liked so, so I take you back to the beginning, when you first joined up. Yes, to, yeah, tell sure. Tell me about that. And then we'll get yeah, to the Spitfires and Hurricanes. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, where and when did you join? I joined in. I joined in initially when I was seventeen. Um, they would take you in at that stage, give you a medical, and you swear loyalty to the 
came and uh, all the rest, but uh, and expect you to join the ATC, and uh, so I did that, and then they took you at eighteen and a quarter, and I went into um, into the Air Force at eighteen and a quarter, and I, I was we'd been bombed out during the war. Uh, we lived close to the, closer to the centre of London, throughout the Blitz, and uh, I, uh, after the second time, when I say we were bombed out, didn't mean that necessarily that the place was flattened while they were in it. It's quite often that the doors have been smashed and the windows are gone, and of course there was there were plenty of spare accommodation in London because plenty of people had left and uh, it meant um, uh, that uh, they had to find someone else for us and uh, they found us a flat in St John's Wood. I don't know if you know London but it's a very nice part of London. Right. And uh, uh, what I didn't know until we got there was that the RAF had more or less taken over the area, oh. and this block of flats we were in was one of the few that wasn't occupied by the RAF. They also took over Lord's Cricket Ground. Right, I heard that, yeah. Yeah, and uh, when you joined, of course, you had to do uh, marching and all the rest, and um, you also had to have your medicals and various other things. and. And some of those really took place at, at, in the pavilion at Lord's. Yeah. So I've been there and walked down the steps onto <laughs> 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 the, the clean curricular. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I was evacuated, I should have said, at the beginning of the war. Yeah. The school was evacuated. Um, and it was evacuated about as far as you could get from London. To Cornwall, mm -hmm. and we shared a school in Cornwall. Uh, they went in the mornings, we went in the afternoons. All oh, right. And it wasn't a bad setup, so I reckon I'm only half educated. <laughs> 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 and, uh, I, I only had a few months there. My brother was killed in the army mm -hmm. in an accident. And uh, so my parents said, Oh, will bring you back. So I was 15, coming on 16, yeah. when uh, I went back to London. And, uh, and then uh, when I joined the Air Force, I was posted into one of these blocks of flats. They were about the only one that wasn't occupied or by the Air Force. Um, and from there, um, we went to Wales, South Wales, to an OTU, not an OTU, oh goodness. Would it be an EFTS? E yes. Elementary Flying Training School? Yes, yes, EFTS, yes. Yeah. Uh, it might have even been before that. Oh, only ground training. Doing... EFTS was Tugamos. Yeah. Uh, it was just the ground training. Right. Uh, I forgot what they called it. It'll come back about three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know. Here it was initial training wing, but I don't yes, know. RTW. Is that what it yes, was? Okay. Yes. Yep. So I just started there when the RAF, in typical RAF fashion, were halfway through it. Um, 
they took our course and another course and said, oh, you're all going overseas to do this. We were halfway through it and went on, um, went on a troop ship um, for six weeks. It was pretty pungent conditions. We were, it was an old uh, midship that used to operate to New Zealand, I believe. Oh, right. It was called the Logs Bay. Uh, we were in the hold and none of us had been at sea before and about 300 pilots under training or aircrew under training and uh, about the same number of army yeah. on this troop ship and uh, conditions were pretty basic that we had to sleep I think for about the first five days in in your uniform um, because uh, if you finished up in the water apparently your survival time increased by about half an hour <laughs> maybe uh, which was so you could imagine that down in the hold there a lot of people who'd never been on a ship before what the, the smell was like after <laughs> nearly put me off ships but uh, we do in a typical Air Force fashion we got on this ship to uh, to India to do an OTU on uh, dive bombers okay. um, in Peshawar and um, they were vengeance dive bombers I believe right yep Oh, the bloke who was eventually my brother-in-law, um, he went um, up there in one lot, and just as we were about to leave, they said, oh, it's cancelled. Uh, apparently, they, they'd, they'd been there about two weeks, and they were getting fed up doing nothing, and so they went to see the OC of this transit camp, in Peshawar, and they said, why are we here? He said, I don't know. And they said, we're supposed to be going on a vengeance course. He said, oh, the vengeance has left here six months ago, old chap. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so he came back to where we were, our transit camp in Bombay, which um, was about the only decent and sort of transit camps we've been in, and we've been in some pretty basic ones. Yeah. And these were very nice houses, except there's a place called Worley, and when they built these quite nice apartments, and they didn't realise that that's where the sewerage for about eight million people went into the water. <laughs> anyway, that's not flying, but um, they sent us back to Africa then, to the Middle East, we went to Ismailia, which was an old Air Force station. Okay. You know, it had brick buildings that were pre-war. Yep. And uh, there we did a, a hurricane OTU. And uh, I, I, I liked the hurricane. Uh, of course, after a, a Harvard, it was, I should have mentioned that I did my Harvard, my EFTS. Yes, I've missed out a bit. Can I go back? Yeah, yeah, go on back. The troop yeah, ship yeah. to uh, that troop ship initially was taking me, taking us to Durban, and then on a train 
up to Bulawayo, southern Rhodesia, right. where they had a, a pilot training camp, yep. uh, like the Canadian one, only quite a bit smaller. Yep. But the Air Force there, I, I believe it, outnumbered the, the whites in Rhodesia. Yep. I, I thought Rhodesia was a lovely country then, um, 5,000 feet up. So it was fairly cool after Africa. Okay. Anyway, uh, we did ITW again because we were only halfway through it before. Yeah. And then EFTS um, at a place called Guinea Fowl, which was in near Bulawayo. Yeah. Uh, that was on Tiger Mosque. And then to Guello, which was only a very small town halfway between. Bulawayo and Salisbury, mm -hmm. and uh, there we did SFTS on uh, Harvard's, and then they, when we finished there, they sent us to Africa, back to Africa, and then having sent us back to Africa, they sent us back to, they sent us back from India. They sent us back to North Africa, and we did OTU in Osmalia. Right, on the hurricanes. On the hurricanes, and that, that was good. I had a, a New Zealand, uh, well, you can't really call him a trainer, because he doesn't get in with you, of course, yeah. in a hurricane, but he was, uh, he, he explained it, a chap called Francis, um, they explained it and then sent you off. And uh, as I found, and I've spoken to a lot of blokes about the first solo in the Hurricane. And, uh, you know, it was a lovely aircraft, really, but perhaps because of the power, you felt on the fore and aft side that you were, you know, you couldn't have been more ham fisted. You seemed to be going up and down. And, and uh, I found most people who come off of Harvard with the extra power, um, and uh, you really felt a ham to begin with. Just and then after you'd flown it for half an hour, and you weren't on it for much longer. You just did a couple of circuits. And, yeah. Um, and then when we finished there, they put us on a boat, and. Uh, I've forgotten the name of it, it's been in my logbook. Um, I should have brought my logbook out because it's... Yeah, it's uh, be interesting to see it. Um, there's nothing very dramatic, or perhaps there's one case, but... Um, um, anyway, they sent us there and we again went into transit camps for a long period. Yeah. And then eventually uh, we posted to a squadron that was... One, two, three, East India Squadron, East India in brackets, that had been paid for apparently by the Maharajas, we assume, in India, because yeah. the man on the street wouldn't be able to put by aircraft. And whether they did or not, I don't know, but it was probably a political thing. Yeah. Um, so, whereabouts was that squadron that you were based at, uh, posted to? Uh, um, that was in Bangor. Bangalore. Bangalore, okay. 
Right. Yeah, go, go, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, naturally, got a few of these, but yes. this was the only one that really mattered. On the, the back, you've got usually. Oh yes, the the yeah. summary at the back. Um, they, yeah, where you are, where you've been. And, uh, Those were the various postings. Right. Uh, well, that, that was just, um, this is Taff. Oh, yeah. Um, we used to do a two week camp, that's why we did quite a lot of flying in two weeks. Yes. Yep. Yeah. You know, I mentioned the CO I had. Um, yes. The one. Joe Pegg? Yeah, Joe Pegg, yeah. yeah. He was... Yeah. Well, those were my Thunderbolt times. Oh, yes, yeah. Um, one, two, three squadron at the end of the war. Um, well, we haven't got to the war, have we? No, not yet. That's it, Mandalay. Okay. It's... Uh, we, um, we, first thing we had to do was to convert. I, I arrived just as they got the Thunderbolts. Okay. So I knew as much as, about them as they did. <laughs> uh, I was posted to A flight. And uh, so I was a bloke called McGregor. He'd been on the, wasn't this squadron, this was one, two, three squadron. He'd been on the squadron, you know, two squadrons went up to Russia oh, at the beginning yeah. of the war. Yes, yeah. Uh, in fact, the CEO of the two squadrons happened to be a New Zealander too, Ramsbottom Isherwood. That's right, oh, yes. I, that. I know that, yes. Not many don't Kiwis forget. with that. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> my CEO, L123, was McGregor, and... Uh, so we all all learned the Thunderbolt together, and uh, it had a bit of a reputation as being, you know, a great heavy old bus. Yeah, people, but uh, it was ahead of its time. Of course, it was the latest, and uh, in many respects, it, for what we used it for, it was late in the war, very late. Yeah, um, only had about a year, and. Um, that uh, being American, of course, it had stacks of armor plates everywhere. <laughs> it had a radial engine, and that combined made it a better aircraft than, say, the Spitfire or um, Typhoons or other sorts of ones with inline engines. Yeah. Uh, and that it could take punishment with it being a radial. Right. And uh, and the Thunderbolt could could take punishment. Not that there was that much ready. I'm talking about um, getting towards the end of the war. I was yeah. 20 then, or 19 or 20. And, uh, but 
it, we, we stayed there for a while and then uh, they flew the aircraft off um, because it was the East India Squadron. Um, they landed in Calcutta and uh, the locals made a bit of a fuss of them. We were, we were very junior, we just went along on the, on the, the trucks at uh, all the trains and um, anyway moved down to a place um, uh, Nazir in Burma, in the northern parts of Burma and the Arakan coast. Yep. Um, where it wasn't wasn't really too bad. The uh, it wasn't naturally it wasn't Pure jungle, or you couldn't get aircraft around. Mm. It was, and it wasn't far away from the from the beach. And um, they, I think, they, my first trip was as uh, we used to fly in pairs. Basically, we used to fly in what they called finger fours. Yep, it was a. Uh, um, Pre-war, the RAF flew in Vicks, but the, I'm probably preaching to the converted, but <laughs> you know all about finger fours. Yes, yeah. You were basically two, two pairs, two pairs. Yeah. with about 670 yards or metres between one and two, perhaps about 120 between number two and three and four. Right. So I would have been flying with the flight commander as his number two, and, uh, and we we didn't. Uh, you probably know as much about the Doolittle Raiders as I do, uh, or more than I do. But uh, I don't think people realise just what an effect it had, because when the Japanese found that. Japan wasn't impregnable. Yep. They withdrew most of their aircraft from places that they didn't need to have them. Right. And Burma was one of them. And whereas they've been, you know, in charge of flying all over. And when I was there, we only saw two aircraft ones. Okay. Yeah. Right. All the rest was just uh, well, anti-aircraft for fact. But, okay. Yes. Um, yeah. But, we saw them once. We were doing an escort on Liberators. Uh, American um, Americans were flying Liberators. They weren't, I don't think the RAF flew them at all, as far as I know. They they did have did some. They? they did have some in Burma, but yeah. um, anyway, we uh, somebody said there's bogus on the right or, or starboard, <laughs> and uh, we were the closest, so. Uh, Flight commander and I went over, and um, there were obviously decoys. There must have been a few higher up. Yeah. And uh, as soon as we could even identify them, I think they were Oscars. Um, they turned down just to and hoped that we'd follow, and it was pretty obvious that uh, we were escorting the Liberators. Yeah. And that was what we were for. But apparently the Americans, when they got back, said that um, the two aircraft 
um, two thunderbolts, attacked these um, Oscars or whatever they were, and which went down in flames. <laughs> Unfortunately, neither of us found our guns <laughs> at that stage, so we couldn't really uh, claim it. But uh, <laughs> I, I know that a lot of claims were not all that accurate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we did. Uh, I could tell you an episode. It takes a little while. Yeah, we could cut it out. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, we were we were mainly trying to keep things open for the army to get through. We were doing a lot of army cooperation work. Mm -hmm. They would send a signal or something, and uh, we'd go down and straff it. And, and, we did a lot of, uh, we did quite a bit of dive bombing, which uh, I always thought was so inaccurate that it's not a patch on low level if you can do it. Yeah. Uh, however, that's what they wanted. And we dive bombed uh, Mandalay a few times, and uh, it was holding the, the British Army up. They couldn't get in. Anyway, to tell you this story, which you could that, see that picture there on the right. Yes. That's my uh, granddaughter, and she phoned me up. Um, she lives in London. Yeah. And uh, phoned me up and said, uh, well, I'm phoning you up because I'm out your way. I said, Where are you? She said, I'm in Thailand. I said, well, that's nice. Where are you going next? And she said, Mandalay. I said, who are you with? She said, I'm on my own. You know, it's amazing what young yeah. girls do. And uh, so she said, uh, Dad says that you know, you know a bit about Burma. I said, I don't really know much. She said, well, I always wanted to go to Mandalay. Have you been there? And I said, well, not exactly, but I've died from it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I could tell you a bit about that particular thing because you know, we got a briefing, of course, you know, the normal sort of briefing. Yep. And uh, they showed us a map like this one. It wasn't any better than this, or much better. Yep. Um, and that's the Mandalay, that's the Mandalay Fort Wall, mm -hmm. and those are Thunderbolts attacking it. But we, in the briefing, it said over, it would have been in this corner here, yeah. um, is a building which you mustn't, under any circumstances, bomb or strafe or anything else, you've got to keep it completely clear. So we did that. So we had to keep it completely clear because some of our misses on time bombing could, could be stretched a few yards. <laughs> And uh, anyway, we we did we did actually break the wall. And okay. The army were able to get in, and from there they got straight through to Rangoon. All oh, right. And uh, anyway, um, I saw the intelligence officer a couple of days later and said. Um, did they, those people who were in that building, did they 
all come out okay? Or we just assumed that they were in probably civilian internees. I mean, mm. said, what people? I said, well, you know, that building. He said, that was a brewery. <laughs> 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 oh, that's brilliant! And and it was really—I uh, mean, our morale was fine. We didn't have anything to complain about. Yeah. But the army morale was pretty low because they got all the rubbish that the, they didn't want in Europe came out there. Yeah. Some of them had been in and out of the jungle for three or three years or more. Jeez. And uh, anyway, I told this to to my granddaughter. Yeah. And uh, she sent me that photo. Standing in front of the Mandalay Brewery Limited. <laughs> Fantastic. I'm surprised that it's actually in that sort of writing. Because yeah. I would have thought it, it's probably an English, English brewery. Yeah, that's brilliant. But, uh, <laughs> it, was, it was such an incredible thing that uh, I could tell you all sorts of things. Absolutely, go for it. <laughs> Anyway, when that uh, we got down to about Rangoon and uh, we were then preparing, I think we got it. Yeah, we actually, the war ended just shortly after that. And uh, we went down into Malaysia where they were having trouble with, um, I think, um, communists. In the eastern part of Malaysia, and and there was also going to be a an invasion uh, about that time, uh, which was planned by Mountbatten. Yeah, you probably heard of it, Operation Zipper. It was called. Okay, okay. and yeah. uh, that was going to be the invasion of Malaysia, and we started preparing for that, and I was picked to fly with the flight commander for, I think it was five or five and a quarter hours, um, because that's how long it was going to take for us to reach that point um, where the invasion was. Right. And, where, and uh, anyway, um, we did this trial and uh, I think we had to strafe something at the end to see if we were still capable of doing anything, even when you're strapped in in the fair amount of heat yeah. and uh, formating basically a loose formation. Um, you're fairly, fairly shagged at the end of it. Yes. <clears throat> and anyway, it went off all right. We hit these things they wanted us to drop. And, uh, and shortly after that, uh, they sent us down um, well, the war finished. Just prior to that, um, I was called to the adjutant's office and I thought, I wonder what this is for, what do I know? And he said, oh, you've been drawn out of the hat. They said the morale in Burma was pretty low, which was certainly not the case in, in the Air Force, I don't think. Right. It was, so they decided that they were going to send have a, have a raffle and send people for a month's leave in England. 
and uh, I said, "You, there was a lot of army going, and uh, you, your name came out of the hat." So I said, well, "I wasn't keen on going. I hadn't been on ops that long, yeah. and you wait and wait, as, as previous people would have told you, that you wait and wait and go to transit camp after transit camp, and you don't get anywhere." And uh, I thought, well, "I'm finally on ops. I don't want to go." He said, well, you're going to fly both ways. And I thought, well, that's not so bad. Yeah. And um, I, I was probably due for a bit of leave. And uh, anyway, I had to make my way to Kolkata. And normally, everything's done for you in the Air Force, travelling. But I had to go through Pachetagong uh, and odd sort of places and make my way to Kolkata. And then I realised when I arrived that that was my 21st birthday. Oh, wow. And anyway, the turn. I found a, a service club and I had a quiet bill on my own. But um, when, I got, when I checked with the Air Force, they said, it's bad luck or good luck. They said, but you, I think they were York transport aircraft have been grounded. So they're going on a ship. Oh. I thought, well, if I'd have known this, I wouldn't have left. Yeah. And anyway, I got there the night before VE Day, and uh, I wouldn't have missed it for the world. It, it was quite incredible. I didn't really have anywhere to stay because our family had sort of broken up with the war. Yeah. And um, I found an old cousin and managed to stay there. And, uh, it was, I'd also, I hadn't mentioned, but I'd, I'd damaged my foot. Um, I trod on something in this, in the local beach, uh, which sent some poison up my leg. And uh, I really had a tough time for a couple of, two or three days. I nearly lost it. Uh, they worked hard on it in our, in our medical quarters. And uh, I had a limp. And uh, when I got on VE day, I joined the crowd there. <laughs> and it got a tremendous reception from people. You, you had wings for a start. Yeah. I had a limp. <laughs> and if people sort of, sort of, uh, sort of made a mention, I didn't like to say, I just trod on something. I said, I don't like to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I um, I had a month there, which was uh, you know I'd had about three years away. Yep, and uh, that was very enjoyable. Uh, Excellent. Uh, I got back to the squadron, and uh, we were in Indonesia then. Okay, the Indonesian trouble has started. Right. Uh, in fact, it started just before I went on this trip. And uh, I, I, was, I was flying number one then, you know, in a pair. Mm -hmm. I was a warrant officer. And, uh, well, you, you know, I don't know anything about this set up there, but. Sukarno and 
team were taking over the Japs had, a lot of Japs hadn't surrendered. Yeah. They'd passed on their weapons. And Serrano, Sakano had a, um, a quite a force. Okay. And yet he was able to live in a, a mansion. It was a very touchy situation. And the British, for some reason, were the ones who were looking after the place. I would have thought it should have been the Dutch. Mm, yeah. But uh, anyway, the whole point of it was that all these civilians have been locked in internment camps, all the women and children. I don't know, the men I would imagine were made to work, but um, we not got to know a few of the ones in the camps because during the day they were allowed out, but no one was allowed out at night. Mm -hmm. Curfews, um, um, you, you wouldn't last right. more than a couple of hours. Right. I know my bloke who later became my brother-in-law, he, he lost his rigour, just went out looking for ladies and never came back. Okay, wow. Um, anyway, they, the Air Force delegated certain roads as safe roads and they would open a camp which probably had about 2,000 women and children in yep. most of them. They were dotted around the country. Because when the Dutch, uh, they'd been there for hundreds of years, and when they uh, occupied a country, um, they really, really put people in there. And there were thousands and thousands of Dutch there. And of course they wanted out. And uh, yeah. most of them went to Australia or back to Holland. Yep. But to get them to the coast, they needed to go on certain roads and they were being attacked. So we would be doing, what do you call it? Um, it's not dumbbells, but it's uh, cab ranks up and down, right. up and down. And the bloke who would be with this team and buses uh, would call us up. And if they were being filed on from the bushes or we go down and give it a straff. Right. And that was the, the main thing you did. Wow, that's yeah. interesting. <laughs> it, it, was, it didn't get much publicity with that. No. It no. was never quite even, a war. Yeah, I've never even heard of it. Uh, and yeah. you still had the um, Thunderbolts there? Yes. Yeah, okay. I think there were two Thunderbolts and a mosquito squadron. Okay, yep. And the mosquito squadron were getting um, they were getting trouble with delamination. Ah, uh, yes, of course, yep. And, uh, you know, it was so hot and humid in Java. And uh, they brought out uh, Jeffrey de Havilland to fix it. Oh, right. And uh, apparently he, he sorted it out and they said, well, would you mind taking it up and testing it? And he said, I'm too valuable for that. <laughs> Which, <laughs> so I, was, I just went down a bit and he would have been the logical person to test it. Yeah. And, uh, Wouldn't have given them much confidence, would it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there was nothing delaminating about a Thunderbolt. It was really solid. 
It's able to take a lot of punishment, not that we took much. And, and they were fine in that kind of heat, the hot conditions and, and humid conditions, the thunderbolts? Yeah. That they operated all right? Oh, yes, they did. Yes. No problem. I mean, they had the ability to get up to 40,000 feet, right. but we never had any reason for it. Right. I mean, we were usually at 10,000, 13,000. Yeah. And, uh, um, uh, yes, we, we did quite a bit of uh, operations um, protecting these these roads okay. and protecting the camps. And I had occasion to uh, have a well, I had to make up my mind and break the rules from um, I couldn't get a couldn't get a clearance to uh, staff a, a convoy. Yeah, and uh, I thought it was getting so near, and the army was sitting. In, we had about maybe I don't know half a dozen army chaps in each camp, and they'd have presumably arms to try to defend it. Yeah, but. Uh, I couldn't get couldn't get through to the CO. Anyway, the army was saying they're getting closer, and uh, so I told my number two, "We'll fly over this group where I could see there were lots of trucks, and they were all all waving banners." And they were a motley crew, they, you know, they didn't have any uniforms and they were firing their rifles in the air. Yeah. And the blokes in the camps were saying, we're going to hear the rifle fire. Uh, and I could, uh, couldn't, uh, you know, we were told never to do anything. They on a safe road. And Anyway, I was getting closer and closer and I told my number two, we'll fly over. And we'll put a burst over the heads and see what happens. And they all went <laughs> out of the trucks. So I thought, well, that's fair enough. And uh, so well, we'll just shoot up the trucks, which we did. Okay. And uh, I've only told about two people this story because I didn't want to. It looks a bit funny. It's, anyway, we shot up these trucks. We had about the front eight. Before that, I'd got the people in the camp to put a white cross out just to make sure that it was them that was trying to call me. Yeah. And uh, that's good thinking. And uh, then we we strafed with my number two. George Daffy, we strafed and said, well, eight of these on fire. Think about it, on one old log because I think it was eight of them were on fire. And, uh, and the others would have, I mean, uh, when they make up the rounds, you know, the quite often it's a, an incendiary, a tracer, a ball. So, we gave the whole lot of the trucks a, a yeah. fair going. There were eight, eight on fire. Okay. And uh, 
and certainly was not the steam out of them. They'd all were still in the bushes, yeah. and uh, I thought, well, I'll probably get a stamp, but it'll only be a, a light one. But when I got there, got back, I was met by the CEO, and he was steaming. <laughs> he said, "You want a court martial?" I thought, "What?" He said, you're on a court-martial. I said, what for, sir? He said, for disobeying my instructions. I said, I didn't get any disruptions, sir. Instructions. He said, I called you twice. And I said, under no circumstances, strife on the safe road. And uh, I said, I didn't. If you did, I didn't hear you. And I said, I, when I didn't get a reply the first time, I climbed to 5,000 feet. And the second time, I climbed again to 10,000 feet. Still no reply. And I thought, oh, I'd have to just make up my own mind. And uh, anyway, he, he said, anyway, you're on a court martial. I thought, normally if I was on a charge, that I hadn't been on a charge, and I thought I'd be jumping up and down the horse, and I was so very angry, yeah. because I knew that they would have overrun the place. And uh, I thought sooner or later it would come out. But um, anyway, he, he said, well, that's the way it is. And anyway, he said, and come to my office as soon as you're out of your gear. So I thought, well, it's going to be a quick court-martial. And he said, uh, I went to the office and he was there with, with the adjutant pouring over some books. And he said, um, um, just come in here and we're just sorting out how to do it. And then there was some so stamping outside and obviously saluting and so on and things. Yeah. I thought, of course, they're going to shoot me now. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, he was, and then in walked a full general. And um, he was in charge of the whole, whole of Java. Okay. In charge of the Navy, Army, and Air Force. He was like Eisenhower. Right. And he was called General Christensen. And uh, and he he came in and he saw that something was different. He said, I'm interrupting anything. He said, I've just come round to present, uh, uh, what he said, to um, see you for the first time, basically, to introduce myself and, um, to the CEO. And the CEO said, oh, we're uh, just looking up how to, how to court-martial this warrant officer. Yeah. Um, and he said, oh, what's the story? And we told him the story. And he said, oh, from what you tell me, this young warrant officer saved, saved a massacre. A jolly good show. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
that's what my CEO looking a bit relieved. <laughs> and uh, anyway, um, that was that was the end of it. Right. And uh, um, the CEO said after he said, uh, I, in course of um, in the circumstances, um, it won't go any further. In which I mean, he couldn't do anything else after this. But by the strangest coincidence, when I when I eventually went back to England, was in this place in Wales. Yeah. I was sent on detachment to be CO of a small detachment doing the same thing. We had only had five aircraft, and two of them were Spitz. Yeah. Doing co army co-op, I met. As one does, a lady who was, she was um, a civilian working at the aerodrome, yeah. and making it off, and she and her family were migrating to New Zealand as soon as they got a ship. Uh, they were, they wanted to migrate to either Canada, Australia, or New Zealand. They, her mother was a pen pen pal with people. Yep, and. Uh, um, yeah. um, we headed off, and uh, I thought, after the war, I wouldn't mind going to New Zealand. And we got engaged, and they went off, and I got a job when I got demob for a short time. Um, but when I got here to New Zealand, uh, it was 48, it was very difficult to get accommodation. Right. And, uh, Eventually she found one. She said it's in a flat at Devonport. I said, where's Devonport? And she said, oh, it's across the water. So we went across there and there was um, an, an oldish house on the water, on the front of Devonport. And uh, I said, um, we were divided in two. And the owners had an elderly couple had gone overseas on a trip and it was to live for about six months and the their daughter and son were in the other half and the son was letting it on their behalf mm -hmm. and uh, he was with a little boy when he was showing us through and I said to the little boy, what's your name son? And he said, Greer Christensen Wilcox. I said, Christensen to Ron. That was dad. That's an unusual name. He said, "Yes, his, his mother's, my wife's uh, um, relation. He's, he's quite a famous general. You wouldn't think that it could possibly be a thing like that." I felt like back when the next hair's gone. Yeah, <laughs> it was so extraordinary. Yeah. The general that saved your bacon. <laughs> yeah, he did. He did. Gosh, you were so lucky that he arrived at that very moment. Pardon? You were so lucky that he arrived at that moment when they oh, were sorting yes, out your court yes. martial. I, and it was only he wanted to, you know, mm. he goes around all the places yeah. they do. Like a social visit sort of thing. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, well, I can show it to you now. Um, well, that's a spit. All right. Where would that have been, that one? 
Um, I think that would have been the one I had up in North England when I had that small unit. Oh, yeah. Yep. But, uh, that was Kennedy. Ah. So I should, I should show you this because you have to say, he, they didn't have any decorations out there. They didn't want to upset anybody. It wasn't until they left yep. that they did it. But he gave me, you could, um, that was for, I was on the squadron for 18 months. Yep. And it's exceptional. Wow. Which is pretty, uh, pretty unusual. That is very unusual. That's incredible. That was 18 months. I did a couple of other things <laughs> before, but nothing like that. Yeah. But uh, if you've never been on a court martial, <laughs> it's only one down from being shot, I think. <laughs> and, uh, I never told anyone that because I thought, you know, if, particularly in the, in the airline, mm. you, you tend, well, in the Air Force, you're always putting your logbooks out, you know, wherever you go anywhere. They want to see your logbook. Yeah. And they did, of course, with uh, joining the airline too. You have to put your logbook in first. Yes. But I didn't want anyone in the airline to see that because they'd be expecting a higher standard of flight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> likely to get. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Why weren't you exceptional today? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, after that, on that particular mission, um, they sent the powers that be, perhaps because of the general, they sent everything after it, after those people and there were some more right. groups coming up doing the same thing. Okay. And that's when uh, one of my blokes got shot down. Right. Okay. They actually gave away the idea of going on the road and putting them off that. So <laughs> they... Um, they were going, there was a big lake alongside this uh, camp, mm -hmm. and uh, it was called Ambarawa, Lake Ambarawa, and uh, they were getting supplies over in boats. But anyway, um, it's a war that nobody knows much about. Yeah. If the British had been involved, we would have heard about it, and, and the Dutch probably want to publicize it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was from some English um, sort of picture magazine. Oh, yes, yes. yep. It's not a very good sketch, but, it, but that's the story of the Mandalays. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, tell me about joining the uh, Territorial Squadron in New Zealand. Yeah, it was... Uh, when I joined it, there were, I suppose they had them later, they didn't have sergeant pilots or warrant officers, they were called P2s or something like that. Okay. Which, uh, I had my cushion commission then, and so it, it didn't worry me, but I'd never struck that, and I'd never understood why we, we didn't have more the American system where all pilots were commissioned. Yeah. It was very unusual. For instance, on, uh, on those sort of things in Java, I mostly had a, a, a flying officer as my number two. Right. Then I was commissioned, but I had 
even on the squadron, on one, two, three, I'd had, when I was made number one, I would have a commission. People as my number two. Right. Which doesn't seem right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, well. Um, however, that's the RAF system, they probably still got it. I don't know. Well, they, I know New Zealand definitely dropped the sergeant pilot things uh, probably late 1950s, something like that. It, so they're all commissioned officers now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, it makes a lot of sense. Mm, yeah. Um, um, so. uh, when you joined, so you joined in 1948 with the um, was it territorials? Territorials. Uh, no, it was 1950. By the time I got in there, okay, yeah, uh, they didn't have vacancy, and uh, I kept at. He was, uh, I think, he was a group captain. I kept at him, uh, tiny white, and yep. uh, I meant to say he said. When I got at him again, he said, it's going to be easier to get you in. <laughs> you keep getting at me. <laughs> so, yes, sir. But, uh, no, I was lucky to get in, and uh, I enjoyed that. That was weekends. And, uh, That's brilliant. With understanding why I was looking after three kids at that time. Yeah. And, uh, no, it was... I guess there was a, a bit of a mix of pilots who had flown in yes. the Pacific. and Yes. I, I know one of the pilots I used to know here is dead now. Um, had been in the Navy flying Corsairs. Uh, oh, really? That was... Um, he, he was in number one squadron. Um, uh, Ray Richards. Do you remember? No, Ray, do you remember him? before me. May have been, yeah. I think he was flying the Mustangs, but... Maybe he was there. Yeah. Yeah, well, I would have known him. Or yeah. when I left, I left whatever the town was that you needed to serve. And they, yeah. I was surprised, really, they took people who were flying already. That surprised me. If I'd have been running it, I wouldn't have done that. I mean, yeah. You want more pilots? Well, yeah, yeah. How the suited yeah, and it was a good bunch of blokes. And yeah. yeah. And about three of us, a few of us, joined the airline. Yes. Yeah. Um, after we'd been in the TAF a year or two. Yep. I think I had five years with the TAF. Okay. And five years in the RAF by the time I finished. So, was it a sort of almost every weekend you went out to Fanuapai and yes. did a bit of flying? Yeah. Yeah. It was always for the full weekend, quite often it was just a Saturday or just a Sunday. Okay, yeah. But quite often it was, and then you had two weeks camp a year. And, and that's, that's when all the year. squadrons got together, oh. right? That's when all the all the different squadrons got together? Yes, yeah. yes. You usually shared it with um, another squadron. Right. Two squadrons together. Okay. Which yeah. meant you had eight aircraft. Which was more like the way you would operate. Yeah. And we would, as a squadron, during the war, it was never less than four that I can remember, except the odd, odd occasion, it'd just be two of you. Yeah. Never one. Okay. Okay. Um, how would you compare the Mustang after flying the Thunderbolt and the Spitfire oh, and the. That's <laughs> The Thunderbolt Superior. It's 
The Thunderbolt will be superior for ground attack. Yeah. Thank okay. you. Uh, be better at. I don't know what any of them are like at dive bombing because it's such an inaccurate business that um, I think it's more to scare the people down below than. Um, if you can, if you can do the low level, you can get real, real accuracy again. You use eleven second delays normally. Yeah. Or we used to. I'm not quite sure what other places did. Did, did, did you use rockets? No, we didn't. No. No. But uh, when I was away on that trip to to UK, uh, our squadron were using napalm. Right. Which surprised me. I think they only used it on a couple of trips. But okay. the bloke who became my brother-in-law, he was on that. Okay. Huh. I, I didn't realise that the RAF had used it. But. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. I thought the Mustang was a lovely aeroplane. It, uh, it certainly compared with the Spit. Well, the spits we just got something. It's, uh, it just uh, seems to fit, you fit into it and uh, seems to know what you're thinking. <laughs> <laughs> it became part of you. Yeah, yeah. It did. It, did. it was, well, was a thunderbolt. It was a pretty big cockpit. Um, yeah, I think somebody said that the uh, evasive action is moving around in the cockpit. <laughs> <laughs> I did notice when you were flicking through your logbook before, you actually, you did get to fly uh, the Vengeance in the end. Yes. What was that like? Oh, that was when I was in that place in, uh, in North England, when I was CEO of that little unit. Yep. We had... Two Spitfires, a Martinet for towing a uh, drogue, yep. uh, a Vengeance for pretend dive bombing. Okay. So I flew that in the end. It, it wasn't a bad thing. It was uh, probably a Thunderbolt was a good uh, comparison because it was a Yankee thing. And, uh, again, it had plenty of room, plenty of armor plate. Not that it matter much, although you never knew where the army said down below. <laughs> in fact, we had a chap in the, um, in the NAC, in the, in the airline. He had a ground job. Um, he was something to do with manpower or something. Mm -hmm. But he'd, he'd got one sort of arm, part arm, I think, and one leg. And apparently he'd been on that squadron in North England, and it was, I didn't know at the time, but apparently uh, he was towing a drogue and uh, they put the wrong sort of deflection on. Oh, that's uh, a chap called Ken Sutton. Okay. He was apparently quite a quite high rank bloke when this happened. Oh, wow. Uh, you never knew with that. Uh, uh, I went to. Um, where we were cooperating when I was in the north of England, northwest of England, mm. um, they, they asked me 
uh, and they had a Christmas party at this army place and they they asked me to come down with a partner and I got the 1500 weight we had and uh, went down the coast and uh, they introduced me to a young lieutenant and they said, uh, oh he's buying you drinks tonight. So well that's that. <laughs> and it turned out that he'd apparently um, put the, messed up his uh, planning on, oh, oh, on uh, I forgot what it was. Yeah. Oh, oh, shooting. Yep. And he, uh, he put on double what he should have done. Apparently, he must have sent some of the things a bit close. But uh, so I was happy to accept it. But it probably wasn't me. But I only ever did that once. Right. <laughs> Yeah, the mud should go up, up backwards and forwards and this thing for a couple of hours. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, of all the different types that you flew, what, what would be your favourite? Well, I suppose you'd have to say the Spit. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it just seems to fit round you. And, and yet it's got... There are things that I didn't like about it that certainly the Mustang didn't have. And uh, one of them was that taxiing uh, in hot weather. Uh, you get the thing overheating mm. and you've got to keep turning into wind and um, giving it a burst and try and cool it down and then go on again. Right. Because I wasn't doing any ops in it. And, but, yeah. um, and also, of course, it's undercarriage is, um, is not the best in a crosswind. Right. The yep. design of it. Yep, too narrow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, Did it's, you? it's a hurricane beach, it all ends up. And the hurricane. You know, they've never really given it its due, but I've read a few times that it did more for the Battle of Britain than it. Well, of course, they could get it back up in the air so quickly. Yes. Anything else. Yeah. I, I think you could also say in the Desert War it was the same, and probably, probably in Burma too in the early stages. I mean, it was a real workhorse, wasn't it, the hurricane? Yes. Yeah. The Spitfires were in Burma. Um, mm. Yep, they were. And, um, uh, yeah, I think they were right to the end. Yes, uh, yep. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's a funny old world, though. You never thought I'd outlive everybody on the squadron. <laughs> I, some of those blokes had done such a hell of a lot, you know. They'd been on the squadron for two or three years. Yeah. And uh, the CO I had then was, well, he'd been to Russia, right, and other places. And I said, oh, but that was really just teaching them how to fly. Right. You certainly got to see a bit of the world, though, with your training. In yes. India and Africa yeah. and 
Incredible. Rhodesia was a pick of the lot. Was, uh, if I hadn't have met uh, Dorothy, I would have. I was going to migrate there after the war. Right. It just seemed a perfect country. Okay. Yeah. So. I guess flying and that sort of region, you get to see a lot of the animals and and all yes. that. Yeah. Yes, you see the lot. Yeah. And uh, of course, tiger moths don't fly very high on the way. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was, but the fact that it wasn't hot there, it was perfect weather. Yeah. And the people were really very nice. They were sorry for them because they all got the shoved, didn't they? Yeah. 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 But, uh, wow. Thank you very much. That was the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood.